Father, we confess that we are easily tempted to think about your church in human or worldly or pragmatic ways. So we ask that you would please correct our understanding and that we might view the church through your word according to your wisdom for your glory. We pray for the preaching this morning that you would use even this sermon to save your elect and sanctify your people. May God the Holy Spirit be at work in our midst so that none of us would leave this room unchanged. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we continue this morning in our series on the local church. Uh, Last week, you'll remember, we started by asking the question, uh, what is the church? And the definition that we came up with, certainly not a perfect definition, uh, not a complete definition by any means, but one I think that captures the essence of what the Bible says about the church, uh, we said that the church is God's precious people purchased and preserved by Christ. I think that's a decent starting place as we think about the different topics pertaining to the church. Uh, And so we talked last week about what the church is. What we really didn't get to was what the church does. And that's the question that hopefully we're going to answer over the next few weeks. Uh, And today, I want to begin that process uh, by talking about the topic of preaching. And so let's start with a biblical definition of preaching, right? Just so we're all on the same page. We saw last week how important definitions are. Uh, And so here's one attempt, uh, my best attempt. Uh, Biblical preaching is God speaking through a spirit-empowered servant to teach and apply God's word, proclaiming Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was a lot. Let me repeat that. Biblical preaching is God speaking through a spirit-empowered servant to teach and apply God's word, proclaiming Jesus Christ and him crucified. So let's just think about that definition for a bit. First, a preaching is God speaking. Right? That is, if the preaching is faithful and biblical, if it uh, comes from the word of God, then it is ultimately God who is speaking through the preacher. Uh, The word most commonly used for preach in our New Testaments is the Greek word caruso. Uh, It's a word that means to proclaim as a herald, a herald who brings a message from the king. Uh, The herald doesn't make up his own message. The herald doesn't just talk about what he wants to talk about. Uh, The herald doesn't speak from his own authority. No, the herald is just relaying the message from the king, And he's speaking on the king's authority. Uh, That is, when the herald speaks, the king is speaking through him. And so biblical preaching is primarily God speaking through his spirit-empowered servant. Biblical preaching is God speaking through a spirit-empowered servant to teach and apply God's word. And so preaching is, at least in part, teaching the word, right? It's just making clear what might be confusing, uh, making helpful connections, teaching biblical theology. 
And preaching is also applying God's word. Uh, showing how a centuries-old text is relevant and applicable to the Christian in the here and now. And preaching is proclaiming Jesus Christ and him crucified, right? Pleading with people, exhorting people to look to the cross of Christ in all things. Uh, Are there better and more complete definitions? Uh, I'm sure. But I think that captures the essence A biblical preaching is God speaking through a spirit-empowered servant to teach and apply God's word, proclaiming Jesus Christ and him crucified. So, evangelical Christianity, it's kind of like an all-encompassing term. It's like a really big umbrella. Uh, Some of what would fall under that umbrella, under that broad term, is, is really neither evangelical nor Christian. Uh, but that's another topic for another day. Uh, within contemporary uh, evangelical Christian churches, uh, one of the hot topics has been the role of that kind of preaching that we were just talking about in the church. Like, in our society, in our culture, does that preaching still work? Or, Should the church be looking at other means to bring people in and hold their attention during the services? Maybe some videos and and some some movies. Or maybe dances and skits and performances. Surely we can't just have a man standing in front of the people monologuing for a long time about the Bible. Like that is completely outdated, right? Right? Like, there's no way that that is going to work in our culture. And here's the thing uh, about people who would argue that way. Uh, Like, humanly speaking, I totally get where that's coming from. Uh, You think about it. Like, we are not in the era of Greek orators where, like, listening to long speeches was everybody's idea of a good time. Like, everything in our society is just like attention-grabbing, short little snippets, right? 140 characters. Uh, we, we don't even use words to communicate, right? We use emojis to communicate with each other. Like, where else in our current society will people gather every week to sit and listen to the same person talk about the same kinds of things for close to an hour? It so strongly goes against, like, our cultural tide of amusement, there's no action, there's no breaks, there's no, there's no entertainment, right? This guy's not even funny. Humanly speaking, like, I totally get why people would think that preaching's not going to work anymore and why churches are then tempted to uh, just try something new, try something relevant, try something fresh. Well, in response to all that, I would say two things. First, whether it works or not, that's not even the right question for the church to be asking. Because remember from last week what the church is. The church is God's precious people purchased and preserved by Christ. And so we're not gathering here primarily by like voluntary association as much as by divine calling. Because Jesus gave himself for us. Because Christ purchased us with his own blood because God has called for himself a people for his own possession. And so since we are God's people, 
This is God's church. Whether we think it works or not, uh, what we really want to do, that's not even the question. The question is what does God say that his church should be doing? And by the way, even though my point here is that whether it works or not is not the primary question, I'm just going to throw this in there for free, it does work. Preaching does work. Uh, You show me a healthy church, I will show you biblical preaching that's happening at that church. Uh, You point me to any true revival of God's people in church history, I'll point you to the preaching, the faithful preaching of God's word that kind of drove that revival. And so the first response to those doubts about whether preaching works or not is that that's not even the right question. My second response would be that questions like that and the arguments behind them, I think they completely misunderstand and mischaracterize what preaching is. Because yes, humanly speaking, like on a human level, like what in the world would make you think that any group of people would want to sit and listen to a man talk about the Bible for an hour? But that's if you think that preaching is just a man talking about the Bible. But remember our definition, biblical preaching is God speaking through a spirit-empowered servant to teach and apply God's word, proclaiming Jesus Christ and him crucified. Well, when we see preaching in that way, right, first and foremost is God speaking to his people, then all of those arguments about like cultural shifts and attention spans and all of that it becomes a lot less relevant because when God speaks... His people listen. My sheep hear my voice. So going back to the role of preaching in the church, I'm going to make the argument this morning that the central event in the life of the church, like the key driver in the life of God's people gathered together, is the preaching of God's word. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said that the primary task The primary task of the church and of the Christian minister is the preaching of God's word. Now that's not to say that all of the other things that the church does together are not important or even less important. But it is to say that if a church is rightly preaching God's word, all of those other things will inevitably fall in line. And so is it important for the church to love one another. Of course, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. But a church that is rightly preaching God's word, well, all of those things, loving one another, that's going to inevitably be there. Is evangelism important? Of course evangelism is important because Christ has commanded us to make disciples But a church in which God's word is being rightly preached and applied, well, it will evangelize faithfully. Are good works important? Yes, of course, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. But a church in which God's word is rightly being preached and applied will inevitably produce good works for the glory of God. But I can't just stand here and say that preaching is important because I said so, or because Martin Lloyd-Jones said so. 
No, my opinion ultimately matters very little. And Martin Lloyd-Jones, his opinion ultimately matters very little. I need to show you these things from the Bible. And so here's how I'm going to try to do that today. First, I'm going to try to show you from the scriptures the priority of preaching. In the ministry of Jesus, uh, the ministry of the disciples, and by disciples I'm referring specifically to the apostles and their associates. I'm, I'm talking about the book of Acts. And then in the ministry of the early church. I think we, if we can all agree that if it was a priority for them, particularly if it was a priority for the early church, since we are a church, uh, then it ought similarly to be a priority for us. And then I want to show you, again from the scriptures, the power of preaching. That is what God does, what God accomplishes through the preaching of his word. And we're going to see that God saves and God sanctifies through preaching. And so I'm just going to give it to you all up front, right? So uh, jot this down if you're taking notes. Point number one, the priority of preaching. And we're going to have uh, three sub-points there. Jesus, the disciples, and the early church. We're going to talk about how preaching was a priority for all three. And then point number two is going to be the power of preaching. And then there's two sub-points there. One is that God uses preaching to save, and the other is that God uses preaching to sanctify. And then we'll close at the end with four applications. So let's start point number one, the priority of preaching. Let's just do a a quick overview through the New Testament. Now I realize I could have started in talking about preaching in the Bible, in the Old Testament, because you think about a lot of the Old Testament is what we would call prophetic literature, uh, the prophets, and at the end of the day, what is a prophet? A prophet is a preacher. But then we remember what Hebrews 1-2 says, uh, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So with apologies to uh, Joel and Micah and Isaiah, we're just going to skip the prophets and start with the son since that's what the prophets were pointing to anyway. So let's think about Jesus. And this is great, right? Because we've been studying through the Gospel of Luke, and we've seen this already in that Gospel. What was the primary work of Jesus while he was here on earth? To do miracles, to heal the sick, to feed the hungry. He did do all those things, but none of those was his primary work His primary work was to preach. Luke chapter 4, hopefully these verses ring a bell. We covered this maybe three or four weeks ago. Luke 4, 42 and following. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. I must. You remember the the concept of divine necessity, right? The, The mission that Jesus must accomplish. I must preach because that's why I was sent. I was sent for this purpose. To preach to all who would hear him that the kingdom of God was here because the king had come and that that king would eventually lay down his life for his friends. 
I must preach. And that's exactly what Jesus did throughout his ministry. Just stay in Luke here. Two more examples of that. Luke 8.1. Soon afterward, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And then Luke chapter 20, verse 1. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel. And we talk about the great gospel preachers of history. Talk about men like Spurgeon and Whitfield and Edwards. We realize at the top of that list is obviously Jesus. Right? Jesus was the greatest gospel preacher who ever lived. The, the greatest proclaimer of the good news in human history. And so he certainly seemed to think that preaching worked, right? He was sent for that very purpose. So point number one, right? The priority of preaching, we saw that that was the case with Jesus. What about his disciples? Well, his disciples, pretty much all they did was preach because that's how they understood the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. That the way that they were to do that was to preach the resurrected Christ. You will be my witnesses. How? By preaching the gospel. Acts 5.42. Every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Every day, they did not cease preaching. Well, what about when persecution ramped up? Well, they kept preaching. Acts 8.4. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution, what did they do? They went about preaching the word. And the reason they did that was because of the conviction that this was coming from Jesus himself. The priority of preaching was coming from Jesus himself. And so we see that Acts 10 42, he commanded us, Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. If we had time, I could give you a dozen more examples from the book of Acts of the disciples preaching the word of God, preaching the gospel. Okay, so we see that it's a priority for Jesus, that it was a priority for the disciples. What about the early church? Did did things change once uh, the church was no longer led by Jesus and the apostles, right? Once we have these local congregations sprouting up all over the Mediterranean, like is, is the command, is the, is the priority still to preach? The answer is yes. Preaching continues to be a priority for the local church. Look at what Paul writes uh, to a young pastor at the church in Ephesus. 2 Timothy chapter 4, right? Look at what Paul tells him to prioritize. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. So there's like a solemn oath. I charge you, preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. And so in the early church, for the pastor of this early church, the priority was preaching. And part of the priority of preaching in the church is that it must be guarded. It must be protected from false teachers, uh, from certain men who would creep in unawares. That's a big theme also in the epistles, written to the churches. 
right? Guard your pulpits. Guard the preaching. So this is what Paul writes to the church in Galatia. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a different gospel, a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And so you see, preaching, both in the presence of sound preaching and the prevention of false preaching, preaching was very much a priority in the early church. The point number one, the priority of preaching. Now let's think about point number two, which is the power of preaching. We've seen that preaching was clearly a priority for Jesus and the disciples in the early church. But why? Uh, Why was it such a priority for them? The answer is because they knew the power of preaching. That God uses preaching to save and God uses preaching to sanctify. Let's start with salvation. Uh, The word of God and primarily the preaching of the word of God. That's the primary means that God uses to save sinners. Now, that's not the only means, but it is the primary means. Uh, maybe the passage that most clearly illustrates this truth is First uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 23 and following. Since you have been born again, so clearly this is referring to salvation, referring to being born again, being uh, regenerated by the work of the Holy Spirit, the power of God. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For, and then he quotes Isaiah here, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word, the good news that was preached to you. And so you see the power of preaching there. God uses the preaching of his word to produce the miracle of regeneration, to bring people to spiritual life so that they would be born again. That was Peter. What would Paul say? 1 Corinthians 1, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach or through the folly of preaching to save those who believe. Can you see that close link between preaching and salvation? How God uses preaching to save his elect. And I think that link is made even more clear in the logical chain that Paul establishes in Romans chapter 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him? in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Only those who call on God will be saved. Only those who believe will call on him. But only those who hear can believe. And someone's got to preach for them to hear. So you kind of put those four statements together like syllogistically. The logical conclusion is that someone has to preach in order for people to be saved. Now, is that always the case without exception? No. Uh, Certainly many believers have gotten saved by just 
reading their Bibles or reading a gospel tract or by reading a good book. And we also want to acknowledge that though the means that God uses is the preaching of his word, ultimately, right, like big picture, it's sovereign God working salvation in the hearts of his elect. But generally speaking, in the wisdom of God, the primary means that he has chosen to use to save his elect is the preaching of God's word. That's a fascinating thing to think about. Because God is sovereign. Uh, Certainly his hands are not tied in any way. So he could have saved souls in, I don't know, pretty much any way you could think of. Uh, Like he could, I don't know, just choose to strike his elect with like lightning bolts. right? And then once you're zapped, well then you're regenerated and now you believe the gospel and you're saved. Or he could have like sent an angel to each of his elects to bring the message of salvation, either in like written form or verbal form, whatever it might be, and just give them ears to hear what the angel has to say. Could have done it in any number of ways, but in his perfect divine wisdom, God has chosen to make preaching the primary vehicle through which he saves sinners. Just like God tells Ezekiel, preach to the dry bones. Oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And God uses those words to cause life to enter into the bones. Well, so God commands the church to preach to dead sinners. And God uses the words of the preacher to cause life to enter into his people. God saves through preaching. It's the primary vehicle through which God brings salvation to souls. And so those of you in this room who are not Christians, you need to know that the power of preaching is primarily relevant for you and that God uses preaching, the means of preaching, to save sinners like you. So that when gospel truths are proclaimed from this pulpit or any pulpit, that you're a sinner, you're headed to hell because of your sin against the holy God, but that God loves sinners like you, and sent his son to die in their place and pay for their sin, that by believing in Jesus' death and resurrection, by placing all of your trust for eternity in him and him alone, you too can be saved. Today, you can be saved. God uses the preaching and the proclamation of the gospel to save souls. And so, even now, I... Uh, tell you something that you would not hear this morning were it not for the preaching of the word in this church that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that everyone includes you if you would call upon his name. God uses preaching to save. Which means that if we as a church are serious about seeing lost sinners come to salvation, then we need to rightly emphasize the preaching of God's word. Now let's consider that God also uses preaching to sanctify. Sometimes there's this idea that preaching is primarily about getting people saved, evangelistic preaching. And yes, of course, there is an evangelistic aspect uh, to any preaching, right? Calling people to repent of their sins and trust in Christ. But that's certainly not all there is to preaching. 
Because preaching is not only how God saves, it's also how God sanctifies. How God grows his people who are already saved. Look at this little section starting in 2 Timothy 3.16. And remember that there were no chapter breaks in the original letters that Paul wrote. And so uh, this is really one continuous thought, even as it bridges two different chapters. Uh, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, uh, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Did you notice that those verses uh, about the word of God, they don't really talk about salvation at all. They're not denying the role of preaching and salvation. But the focus here, the focus in this passage is on sanctification. It's on the believer's growth. Look at ideas like reproof and correction and training in righteousness in 3.16. Equipped for every good work in 3.17. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, right? That's also a part of sanctification. So here's the question. How, Timothy, how do you bring about that kind of sanctification in God's people? The answer is simple. Preach the word. So the faithful preaching of God's word is how God molds people into the image of his son. As sermons challenge believers to examine their lives, as sermons push believers to grow in their knowledge of the gospel, as sermons draw us to genuine repentance, as sermons exhort God's people to pursue holiness with greater zeal, Again, it's not the only means that God uses, but it certainly is a primary means that God uses to transform his children and grow them in grace. Which means that if we as a church, if we're serious about our life's task of growing in holiness, growing in godliness, becoming more and more like Jesus— Like, if we really desire that in ourselves and in our brothers and sisters, well, then we must rightly prioritize the preaching of God's word. Let me just pause here and ask a question or some questions that will hopefully be helpful for you in your own self-examination. Because believers, it's way too easy, I think. Uh, It's so easy to fall into a trap where we hear sermon after sermon after sermon, and we agree with what's being said, and and we learn some new things, and and we see some new connections, and and perhaps we're even stirred up in our hearts and our emotions. But the power of preaching really doesn't lie in any of those things. The power of preaching in the life of a believer lies in how God uses it to sanctify you, to make you more holy. To make you more like Jesus. That's just a few questions. Are you growing in holiness as you listen to biblical preaching? Have you been brought to repentance? Is is sin being put to death? Are you pursuing harder after holiness as a result of listening to biblical preaching? 
Or every Sunday, do you just leave exactly the same as you came in? God uses preaching not only to save, but also to sanctify. So I know that was a lot of points, a lot of subpoints. So let's recap here. Point number one, right, the priority of preaching. We looked at how Jesus and the disciples, right, in the book of Acts and the early church, how they all prioritized preaching, how they all saw preaching as central to their mission. And so similarly, right, preaching ought to be a priority in the local church and specifically our local church. And then point number two was the power of preaching. Like why ought, to, why ought preaching be so prioritized? Well, we saw that the power of preaching lies in the fact that God uses preaching to save his elect and that God uses preaching to sanctify his people. And so uh, as the local church gathers, making preaching into a priority, we do so with the confidence that God is going to use preaching to save his people, to sanctify his people. Which brings us now to the application If everything that I've said so far about the preaching of God's word, the primacy of the preaching of God's word, if all of that is true, well, so what? It is true that John Adams and Thomas Jefferson died on the same day, July 4th, 1826. But that truth has little to no impact on our lives. It is true Hopefully I've established that from the scriptures, that preaching ought to be a priority for the local church. That the power of preaching is manifest in God saving unbelievers and sanctifying believers. But how should we then live? How can we, this local church, better reflect our understanding of what the Bible teaches when it comes to the preaching of God's word in just our day-to-day lives? That's the question we're really trying to get at here. So let me give you four application points. Number one is to prioritize. Prioritize. I want you to prioritize preaching when you choose your next church. Say next church. What are you, kicking me out? Not yet. We're going to talk about church discipline in six weeks, right? But on a serious note, uh, we are in the most transient borough in one of the most transient cities in the world, right? People come and people go, right? We all know that. And so some people come for uh, short, like fixed seasons, uh, whether it's school, you're in a program, or you're you're in some kind of work rotation or whatever it might be. Uh, Some of you I know are here just for the summer. Uh, Some of you have, you have no immediate plans to go anywhere, But perhaps God in his providence will bring you to a a different city or a different country in the future. Like accepting the presumably small number of you who are going to die at this church, many of you will at some point in the future move elsewhere. And here's my point. When you move elsewhere and you have to find another local church to join up with, I want you to prioritize preaching. I want you to choose your next church not primarily because of how nice the facilities are or how big the congregation is or how expansive the children's ministry is 
or even how many people you already know who go there. Those are not bad things to consider, but I want you to choose your next church based primarily on the faithful preaching of God's word. Because preaching is the priority. Because God saves and sanctifies his people through the preaching of the word. And so, uh, if the preaching at that church is not God speaking through his spirit-empowered servant to teach and apply God's word, proclaiming Jesus Christ and him crucified, or whatever other definition you want to come up with for like gospel-centered, Christ-exalting, biblical preaching, if the preaching at that church is not that, it doesn't matter how many other things that church has going for it. You should not go there. And conversely, if the preaching is gospel-centered and Christ-exalting and biblical, like, it's okay if they serve bad coffee and if the sanctuary smells funny and they don't even have a youth group because all of those things come in a distant second to the faithful preaching of God's word. Application point number one, prioritize, right? Choose your next church based primarily on the faithful preaching of God's word. Let me go one step further than that. After you choose your next church based primarily on the faithful preaching of God's word, then I want you to decide where you're going to live in that area based on its proximity to that church. Most of the time we do it the other way around. We find the place we want to live and then we desperately search for a faithful church. Let's think about it the other way. Let's find that faithful biblical church first and then if providence allows, choose where we live based on where that church is. Application point number two, pay attention. Brothers and sisters, if it is true that preaching is ultimately God speaking, that God speaks through his word, that God saves and God sanctifies through his word, like if you actually believe that, then it has to impact how you sit through sermons. Like, I, I know it can get hot in here. I know that, you know, right about now we're starting to get hungry. Maybe you have to go to the bathroom. There's like a million other potential distractions. But if preaching, like fundamentally, is God speaking through his word to his people, then as God's people who must hear from him, like this is life and death for us, Like, we have to fight the tiredness and the distractions and the the zoning out. Like, with every ounce of energy in us, we've got to pay attention to the preached word. I love how the audience is described in Nehemiah chapter 8. Jot that down and read it this afternoon. Uh, When the book of the law was being read and explained, basically preaching, Nehemiah 8.3 says, The ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Application point number two, pay attention. Let me add this. Another benefit of paying attention, like when you are paying attention, when you're tracking along, when you're, when you're engaged with the sermon, like as the preacher, that is the most encouraging thing in the world. Like, I feel the gravity of what it is I'm doing here. 
But I see that God's people are eagerly listening to God's word. I know we don't partic- uh, typically think of preaching as this like participatory exercise, uh, but I'm telling you that just by faithfully attending and actively listening, paying attention, uh, you are being a great help to the preaching that happens from this pulpit. Application point number two, pay attention. Application point number three, prepare. If it is true that preaching, preaching the word of God, is the great priority for the church, if it is true that preaching the word is how God saves and sanctifies, then application point number three, we ought to prepare. Like, it is not an easy thing to engage your mind for 45 to 50 minutes, especially listening to me. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones once said that he would not cross the street to hear himself preach. I'd straight up run in the other direction if I heard myself preach. But regardless of who the preacher is, right, listening and, and focusing and really engaging your mind in what's being said for nearly an hour on a Sunday morning, that's not a simple feat. And so it's something for which, as a priority in our lives, both as a church and as individual believers, uh, we ought to prepare ourselves. Which means, just getting really practical, means that we think about our Saturday nights in light of our Sunday mornings. Because much as depends on you getting to bed at a good time and making sure that our, our bodies and our minds are well rested and refreshed for the most spiritually vital hour of the week. Which means, and this doesn't so much apply to this current topical series that we're doing, but it does apply when we, like as we typically do, like let's say we're going through the Gospel of Luke. Like you know what that next week's passage is going to be. Well, you can read ahead. You can familiarize yourself with the text so that you can get as much out of the sermon as you can. Again, preparing for preaching. And it also means, and I am not like trying to be cheesy or, or dramatic here, but as you prepare your hearts throughout the week, and you are anticipating and, and looking ahead to Sunday morning, like there should be in this room a genuine like anticipation and, and excitement every Sunday morning. Not to hear me speak, but just this eager expectation of God's people to hear God speak through God's word. And fourth, uh, the most important component of preparing, that's actually our next and final application point. Application point number four is to pray. I want you to see this, like how closely tied together the preaching of the gospel and the prayers of the saints are in the New Testament. Ephesians 6, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. Paul is saying, pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. 
He's saying, pray for me so that I can effectively preach. Colossians 4. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open us Open to us a door for the word to declare, proclaim, to preach the mystery of Christ. On account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Second Thessalonians 3. Finally, brothers, pray for us. That the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you. So this application is at the same time uh, self-serving, but I also think God-glorifying and biblical, uh, I would ask, dear church, that you would pray for me, that I would be a faithful herald of God's word. Uh, Pray for me in my preparation. Uh, Pray for me in my study. Uh, Pray for me that I would preach with conviction and that I would preach with power, that I would be fully reliant on the Holy Spirit. Pray for me that I would truly believe that God saves and sanctifies his people through the preached word. Especially on Saturday nights, as you are, application point number three, preparing for Sunday morning, please pray for me. And not just for my sake, but for the sake of the church and for the glory of God. That our church might hear from the living God himself. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, when he was asked why his ministry was so successful, he would answer in his uniquely pithy way, my people pray for me. My people pray for me. That's why my ministry is successful. That's why God has blessed my ministry. Spurgeon would say, my people pray for me. Dear church, if it is true that preaching ought to be the priority of our church, and if it is true that preaching is truly powerful, that God uses the preaching of his word to save and to sanctify, then it is also true that you must pray for me. My people pray for me. Father, we love your word And we, your people, love hearing from your word through the preaching that happens at this church. Father, we pray that you would bless the preaching from this pulpit, that it would always be faithful, gospel-centered, sticking to your word, that it would never just be man's opinion, but that it would always be uh, your very words for your people. Father, we pray that you would continue to use your word in our church to save, to sanctify. Father, for therein lies the power of preaching. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.